From the studios of Advancing Vibrant Communities in Modesto, California, this is Lighthouse Live Radio on the Lighthouse Live International Podcasting Network. Welcome to Lighthouse Live, the radio voice of advancing vibrant communities. Our mission is to motivate believers to move out from the four walls of the church to personally serve the needs of their neighborhoods. Get ready for a no-holds-barred, honest look at the Christian lifestyle the way Christ commanded it to be. All that and more coming right up here on Lighthouse Live. And good evening to you, wherever you may be around the world. Welcome to Lighthouse Live on the Lighthouse Live International Podcasting Network. Pastor Mike Douglas with you, along with our producer and co-host, Elaine Harlan, and our faithful prayer intercessor, the inimitable Mr. Owl, Al Ramsey, uh, with us as well. And Elaine will be introducing some new friends yes. uh, to the Lighthouse Live audience here in just a moment. And thank you, friends, for being part of those uh, 250 to 300 and sometimes 350 a day that uh, download our broadcast around the world. Uh, great to have you with us. And by the way, we'd love to hear from you, uh, where you're from and, and where you're listening to our broadcast. You can email us at info at vibrantcommunities.org. That's info at vibrantcommunities.org. Or if you're a Facebook person, you can look at our uh, page there at Advancing Vibrant Communities and leave us a message there as well. A nice one. Uh, yeah, a nice one. Those are, those are nice to have. And just a reminder, friends, the Fathering Covenant uh, that was uh, drawn up at the prayer summit for Mission Greater Modesto, as many of us shepherds gathered together uh, up on the hill this year, we just remind you of this covenant that the pastors in town have made with each other, reflecting the Father heart of God. We covenant together to model and champion biblical fathering and to advocate for the fatherless within our spheres of influence. And, uh, Lynn, in uh, the not-too-distant future, we're going to be having an interview uh, with uh, the director uh, with Bethany Christian Services, uh, Johnny, uh, and, and he was here just um, last week and just had oh, a great yeah. time with him. Awesome. And uh, we'll be having a, kind of a full-length segment with him. He can't be here cool. in studio, but we'll be doing an yeah. interview with him. Just some wonderful ideas for helping those who really don't need to go into the foster care system. Many times there are children and families that have to be outside of the home for a while. It could be a death in the family, maybe one or or more of the uh, parents are in, are in prison or jailed for a short time, whatever it might be. But we really don't want to see them, since it's a short period of time, get looped into the foster system itself. And there's a wonderful, wonderful ministry that they have with Bethany Christian Services called Safe Families. And we'll be unpacking that uh, with you, with Johnny Carr, uh, in a couple of weeks. And uh, so anyway, we'll we'll have that coming up. Great, great ministry. Also a reminder, if you're local here in the uh, greater Modesto area, our uh, our brother and fellow pastor, Dr. Joe Tyler, as you know, went to be with the Lord uh, about a week or so ago. And his memorial will be this coming Friday, the 23rd, at 11 a.m. at Cross Point Community Church. And for those of you who haven't been around here for a while, that 
was First Baptist Church what? there at Twelfth and M. New yes. name is Cross Point Community Church there at Twelfth and M. And uh, again, all are invited to join us. That's this coming Friday, twenty third uh, at eleven o'clock in the morning. And Elaine at the Serving Church Fellowship, we had a chance yesterday to talk about St. Patrick. We did, because, didn't we? Uh, Saturday being St. Patrick's Day. Uh, amazing thing, over twenty eight years of his uh, ministry, having been taken captive at sixteen, and and made a, a shepherd slave. In Ireland, over the 28 years when he returned to Ireland, uh, he planted uh, over 700 churches, uh, baptized uh, over 120,000 Irishmen. Uh, he ordained over a thousand priests and uh, 30 to 50 of the 150 barbaric tribes that he encountered uh, became substantially uh, faith-based uh, due to his ministry. Very so, young man. Yeah, yeah, he was a young man at the time. Just, so anyway, the, the real story of St. Patrick was kind of fun to revisit yeah, as well. Really. All right, friends, let's check in now with our friends from Voice of the Martyrs. What will people think when they hear that I'm a Jesus freak? What will people do when they find that it's true? Hey, what's up? This is Michael Tate, the stunning example of extreme maturity from a 12-year-old Jesus freak. It's 1596, Kyoto, Japan. Ibaraji Khan is one of 26 Christians found guilty of following Christ and sentenced to crucifixion. Seeing how young he is, an official urges Khan to recant his faith. The boy says confidently, Sir, it would be better if you yourself became a Christian, then you could go to heaven with me. Kun then asks, Sir, which cross is mine? The startled officer points to the smallest of the crudely made crosses, and the boy runs to it and embraces it. Friend, are you ready to embrace your cross? Will you stand with the voice of the martyrs? Go online to persecution.com. And we're back with you on Lighthouse Live. Take a quick look at the Volunteer Center of the United Way. It's time for Relay. Are you ready for this? I'm ready. You're ready. Relay for Life, we're talking about a life-changing event that brings together more than 3.5 million people. That's That's a lot of of people for a very good cause. And it's all to celebrate the lives of those who have battled cancer. And we know a few of those, uh, all of us around this table do. Uh, You want to remember loved ones lost to the disease and uh, those who fight back against a disease that takes too much. A 24-hour relay event uh, celebrating uh, starting April 14th and 15th in Hillmar, April 21 and 22 in uh, CSU Stanislaus, uh, Turlock and Livingston, April 28th, 29th in Ceres in Manteca, Merced and Oakdale, May 5th and 6th in Tuolumne County, May 19th and 20th in Los Banos, uh, Mariposa, Modesto, Patterson, Ripon, and Tracy, June 29th in Escalon, June 9th and 10th in Waterford, and July 28th and 29th in Riverbank. Uh, volunteers needed all throughout this event, and we'll give you the number in just a moment uh, to call for that. Yeah, it's such a great time. It is. It I is know a, a lot time. of people getting involved in that. Yeah, I know, absolutely. Uh, your kids have been involved in this for yeah, years. Every uh, year. Absolutely. I've been involved in it as well. I uh, lost my mom to cancer several years mm. ago, and uh, we've got some very dear friends, uh, Ron Vincent, who will be on the show. We, we have a very dear friend uh, who is a cancer survivor, and I know many of us uh, have been touched by this. Anyway, uh, Drail. 
And do you remember what it's just called? Uh, disability it's Resources and Independent Living. You are right? so good. I know uh, we had a test on Well, I had a second cup good. of coffee right. today. Right on. All right. The fourth up. annual. Can't season. remember what I'm supposed to do tomorrow, but That's I can remember. That's a whole another story. Fourth says. annual Cesar Chavez celebration taking place uh, March 30th. That's coming up next week from 11 to 3 uh, at Drail's Agency office here in Modesto. And this is a free outdoor event, folks, uh, celebrating Cesar Chavez Day, establishing community unity. We like that. There's going to be a free blood pressure screenings, uh, informational booths, lunch, entertainment, a mariachi music, uh, big band there. And we were out there last year just dancing in the streets with everybody. It was a lot of fun. Actually, it was raining, so we were kind of sheltered from that, but anyway, it's really cool. Uh, you, we're you were dancing quickly. <laughs> doing a rain dance. Okay, is was, what you're doing. All right. We'll be there passing out lots of uh, goodies. and Passing vol- out or... Di- Oh, you're not no, passing no, out. No, no, I was no. just checking. You're there. We might have a little cause. If, if but I if, if I was dancing, people would be passing out. <laughs> it's not a, not a good sight. Story, but anyway, no. volunteers needed yeah. to uh, set things up and clean up, so you might want to uh, volunteer for that. And I'm going to be there passing out some uh, information for LEC, the Latino awesome. Emergency uh, Communications. So you might want to come and check it out, and it'll be a lot of fun going on March 30th. There, Reading Works Adult Literacy Program. And we encourage you to teach an adult to read. Why? Because there's a lot of folks in this county who can't do that. And volunteers are needed to spend just a couple of hours a week helping people to do this. You know, some great relationships have been established Mm -hmm. uh, through this type of volunteering. So we just encourage you to get involved with this. They're providing... uh, our tutor orientation on the 21st is on a Wednesday from 6.30 to 7.30 at the Modesto Library downstairs auditorium. Then a tutor training will be followed up on Saturday, March 24th uh, at the Reading Works Learning Center uh, in Modesto. So you want to take part in this. And if you have any questions on any of these items, you can contact our dear friend, Barbara Borba. She's at 209-524-1307, extension 113. Uh, again, 209-524-1307. Extension 113, or email her. She's at bborba at uastan.org. And here at uh, AVC, we have, uh, you'll notice on our website, did we get that website out uh, earlier? No. We didn't. What is our website? It's www.vibrantcommunities.org, vibrantcommunities.org. And if you click on the little red flashy thing, icon, uh, the, yeah, the, the icon will lead you to the daily update page, which is uh, uh, refreshed several times a day uh, via Lane. And by the way, on, on Facebook, too, we also put needs there so you can catch them both ways. Cool. Not that I didn't know the website, but anyway, we have a transportation. You're just testing. Me, I'm, I'm just sure. testing. Yeah. I'm kind of testy today, aren't I? Uh, there are I'm needs for there transportation uh, to kidney dialysis treatments. And, you know, this is a biggie, and it's very critical. Uh, it's a life-saving uh, issue here. Well, and, and the amazing thing, Elaine, is in Stanislaus County, there is a waiting list of people who cannot get to their kidney dialysis appointments. Absolutely. Isn't that amazing? This is really serious stuff. It is. We have a 50-year-old guy in Waterford who is scheduled for treatments Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, and he can't get there. Mm-hmm. And so what we need are, are rides for this guy, and he has to be there at noon, and he has to go to Turlock to a place called Davida. 
and uh, he's there for, what, three, four hours. So you drop him off, you go back, and you pick him up, and you take him home. Now, you can either team up with a friend, uh, or may, and you may be able to supply one ride a week uh, or maybe a couple of rides a week. I don't know. And, I, and we're very well aware of what gas costs. Mm. You know, it, it, it touches us all. But, dear friends, if you could provide a ride for this guy, that would mean, that would mean so much to him. It's, it's life-saving uh, for this guy. So, again, if you could team up with someone to provide a ride for this guy, let us know. Give us a call, 209-544-9571, and we'll connect you with this man uh, because it is a, a life-saving uh, issue for him. 209-544-9571, and we'll, uh, we'll hook you up with him. Well, we uh, I've been looking forward to this show for some time, and we've got lots of ground to cover tonight and, and to share, so um, we'll just get to it. We have uh, Ron Vincent and Lee Tidball with us, both teachers and uh, both writers, and Ron's background is actually very extensive. It will blow you away. Um, very impressive. You hear um, all the places that he's been, the schools that he's been to, that he's been to. Um, and I'm interested. I know you guys have been friends for a long time, and, and I, I'd like to know how you guys met, and we're going to get into the books because Lee has written some books. We've got the books. I've got a couple of uh, personally signed books from Lee. You know, Lee just got back from a, a convention, a big book convention. But how did you guys meet? What brought you together? Um. Uh, actually, we, um, the first time that we met, I was in a humanities class at Oral Roberts University where we both went and, um, uh, I saw this little guy scurrying down the, <laughs> down, down the thing and he was the guy who took attendance and everything and you made sure that you were there because he was the one who really looked and, and, and who really figured out whether you were there or not. And what and, happened if you weren't there? I, uh, well, you know, they keep track of stuff <laughs> like that, you know, and everything. And maybe you might get a little something that says you might be failing or something like that. You if get, you're not showing up to class you know, yeah, or, 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 or something like that. No, he yeah. didn't, he didn't do that. He, he didn't, he didn't do that. And then, um, uh, a number of years later, I moved to Modesto. Um, I got a job, uh, out here and, um, uh, at Centenary Methodist, I became the, uh, youth director at Centenary Methodist back in 1979. Mm-hmm. And, um, up comes to me that same person, uh, <laughs> who happened to be, uh, have moved Sitting here next just, to you at, well, mm-hmm. but yeah, yeah, who happened to be, you know, uh, a member of that church and he comes up to me and he says, I hear you, uh, I hear you went to Oral Roberts University part of the time. I graduated from there when it was, uh, ever since then we've been, uh, uh, we've been very good friends and that was in 1979. So yeah. And, so. and all of the places that Ron has graduated from, you probably need a long list of paper to list these pl- places. Ron, welcome both of you to the show. And Thank we're you. just so privileged to have both of you here. I know you lead very busy lives and thank you for joining us. Today. Absolutely. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you very much. So Ron, how long have you been teaching? Well, yeah, I uh, started teaching at MJC at night back in 1981. I was working at Tri-Valley during the day as a quality control supervisor and started teaching at night at MJC so I wouldn't hurt people at Tri-Valley. Um <laughs> 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 uh, because during the season, you started working in June and then you forgot what day of the week it was because mm-hmm. you'd work straight through. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
so I did the uh, teaching at JC taught me that I love teaching. And I left Tri-Valley in 1985. They wanted me to stay, which shows you how bad their taste was. <clears throat> which is, may have been why they went bankrupt years later. Is they kept people like that around. And uh, went to Fresno State to get my teaching credential. And drove down there every day for a year. And then was hired by the uh, famous Dick Lang on August 28th, 1986. It was a Thursday. And showed up for the first faculty meeting at Modesto High. After teaching really at night at JC for five or six years, uh, and have been there ever since. Now, what's your area of expertise as as you teach it? Well, I started out teaching uh, algebra and physical science, and then uh, they wanted me to teach AP biology and chemistry and physics, and then I taught philosophy, and then uh, some more chemistry, English. Uh, I did my student teaching in U.S. history. And now I teach a program called AVID, which is at Modesto High, which is a program for first-generation college-bound students. We have them for all four years. So we become their mother hen and their drill sergeant and their cheerleader, and you have these kids for four years. And we have a 100% graduation rate with that cohort, and 90% of them are accepted to four-year universities and colleges with financial aid, some of them complete financial aid, but all of them with some aid. And one of the things we've learned about the AVID program, which is really positive, is we have kids who do drop out of it. I had a student come to me today and say, Mr. Vincent, I don't want to do this anymore. And what we've discovered, though, is the halo effect. If they're in AVID for a year, their graduation rate is much higher Mm. than than what we call the background effect. Mm. So it's a really effective program. And what does AVID stand for? Advancement via individual determination. Wow. Now, I know, Ron, that you have seen thousands of kids that have come through you and have gone on to mm-hmm. some major, major colleges and universities. And you guys are just stellar when it comes to motivating and empowering and encourage, encouraging these students to go on. You are probably second to none, Ron, when it comes to counseling these kids to universities. I know some people whose sons and daughters have come to you, and you have pointed them to the absolutely correct college that is just for them, universities. Well, well, I've had a lot of practice, but I've also had a lot of wonderful kids to work with, and I work with a remarkable bunch of colleagues. Um, If you're an island in a high school, then you're in big trouble. And I work with a lot of gifted friends and colleagues Mm -hmm. all the time. And I'm a connoisseur of great administrators, and I've had the great pleasure to work with some extraordinary administrators who make my job easy, as well as my colleagues. These days, teaching really is a calling, you know. My, it needs uh, to be. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. yes. My, uh, my, both my parents and, and my sister, uh, and right. I went. You went sideways. Sideways, yeah, and, and, you know. <laughs> anyway, that's another story. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it is so challenging today with, with all of the uh, testing that's required and the mandates, and oftentimes, uh, you know, teachers complain, gee, I don't have time to teach because we've got all these, these that's tests. That's absolutely true. Yes. And, and here, though, it sounds like we have an opportunity where you can really invest in the lives and the futures of the children. What are you doing that creates that opportunity, that creates that momentum in their lives? Well, I, what, <clears throat> AVID is designed to do that in terms of constant encouragement and constant accountability. Um, but Lee, who's an extraordinary elementary teacher, before and, and he was retired, but what I like about Lee was the test didn't drive his curriculum. He had the highest scores, I think, at your school or virtually. Well, yeah, we, we, we scored very well, but, but, you know, we, we didn't center what we did around just testing. You know, um, that was, 
that was important, of course. Uh, that was uh, something that we had to come through with and everything. But I always felt that if you had motivated students, students who wanted to be at school, students who um, who felt good about themselves and who wanted to try, if you could get them to try, um, they would be successful. And uh, that's, uh, you know, that, that was the whole thing in my class. It was like um, you, uh, I don't know, you're, you, you are somebody, you are worthwhile, and uh, you can do this. Um, it, you don't need to just sit there and fail and, and feel, feel bad about yourself. Yes, the testing is tough, but, uh, we'll find a way. And, um, you know, so let's get in there and let's get to work. And, uh, you know, we try, we would try and have a, a, as much fun as we could, you know, while we did, uh, and everything. Um, and all of those things would be tremendous motivating factors for the students to show up at school and to actually, try and when students try uh when, when they buy into it then then they're successful ron you know? and i were talking about that very thing lee before you got here today and and, and we went on air uh talking about our past a little bit and your students today that you see that come in and aren't motivated mm. and perhaps didn't have that encouragement yeah and that positive reinforcement in Absolutely. their past, yeah. um, those challenges that you see. And talk a little bit, guys, about what um, they're coming from in terms of their home lives. You know, maybe their families aren't as maybe encouraging as, as what maybe you would like to see. Well, that. you know, in, in my case, um, I, I taught both at, at two different schools, one in South Modesto, which is um, a, a very – gang infested, you know, right, area right, and, yes. and all like that. And then in, in, uh, near Davis high school, which is a, a pretty middle class, you know, sort of, uh, community. But, um, in both cases, um, you just, you find a, a, an entire gamut of, mm-hmm. of backgrounds and, and things like that. Uh, a, everybody in South Modesto is not a gangster. Uh, most of those people are really fine, hardworking people and, uh, a lot of Hispanic people who simply worship the teacher, you know, mm-hmm. and, and taught mm-hmm. their students to do the yeah. same and, yeah. and all, uh, and, and, and a number of, uh, you know, a lot of Asian kids, uh, who the same way, you know, um, and, and in my school situation in, um, at Beard School, which is, you know, in central Modesto and everything, uh, we had, again, a whole gamut of people there. Um, we had everything from people who lived in really crummy apartments and stuff like that to people who lived in gigantic houses with, uh, you know, and, and all like that. Um, but none of that makes, uh, you know, makes or breaks the student. We can't what, stereotype. Yeah, yeah, no, no. Um, no. what makes or breaks we do that the in student? The churches, don't we? Yeah, you know, you know, <laughs> what what makes or breaks the student is so much is the, the the parental involvement and what's going on in the family, and that is, you know, that could be wonderful and that could be horrible and that could be anywhere in between, and it doesn't matter what the what the socioeconomic situation, you know, was. And so, uh, you know, uh, that, that's kind of what, 
I've dealt with, and I know Ron uh, yeah. has too. Yeah, yeah. I've seen kids that came to school that hadn't eaten, <clears throat> and then you have kids that mom and dad could go anywhere in town. Uh, I had, I've had, I had, I've had students who were homeless, mm. um, and you just, but what? There's something that it's called an internal locus of control, is what the psychologists call it or sociologists call it. But it's a decision you make uh, that. Yeah. If you if you decide well because you're coming from difficult circumstances we can't expect you to succeed it's okay you can sit this out today you, you don't play the game that way you no. have high expectations and the extraordinary thing <clears throat> is regardless of circumstances the kids will meet them absolutely almost yeah, every time absolutely. and yes. mm-hmm. uh, wisdom is knowing when to back off a little bit oh, wow. and and the yeah. wisdom is you, you and I'm sure Lee does the same thing you look out at your classroom and you see a kid you look at their face. And that face will sometimes tell you that this is a day you want that kid to sit back in the room. Absolutely. And, you know. yeah, and you don't do it very often. I've always told the kid, you're entitled to have a bad day. You can't come in, though, every day and say, Mom died and now Dad's died and then start a new set of parents next week dying. Um, yeah. But you can't have – life happens to kids, and you're sensitive to that. But I've seen so many extraordinary kids under, under from extraordinarily difficult circumstances succeed in spite of that. Absolutely. On a regular yep. basis. Absolutely. So what do you do? Because oftentimes in our society, those expectations, the bar is set so low. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what do you do to readjust that in terms of the thinking of, of your students? How, how do you approach that initially? Well, you don't, you start, don't start bemoaning their fate. You don't say, you no. know, poor you. Gosh, we know you can't do this. And but you take them where they're at and then you, you, you help right. them raise them as high as, as, as they can go. You know, um, that was my, always my thing. Um, Amen. You, you do your very best and you disrespect yourself when you don't. And in my class, you know, we would talk a lot about respect. And, you know, one of the things I would ask my students is, who do you think is the hardest person to respect at school? And, oh, well, the principal or, oh, well, you know, the teacher or, sort of, you know, something like that. And I would say, actually, the hardest person to respect is yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and here are some examples of when you disrespect yourself. You don't do your schoolwork when you're supposed to. Um, you don't try your hardest. You don't put your whole effort into something. You say you're going to, to do something and then you don't follow through. Those are examples, you know, and, um, and it was, the kids were just calling, wow, you know, <laughs> and I don't, and, uh, but, you start from there and, and, you know, you just, it's like Ron says, you, you don't accept, uh, anything less than what they're capable of doing. And, and yes, they can have a bad day. And yes, we do understand those things. And yes, we do try and have fun. Mm-hmm. But in the very end, um, I expect your very best. It does not have to be as good as, Susie, somebody who's, you know, getting A pluses and everything. You don't have, you know, we had a PE program in my class and you don't have to run as fast as all those guys who can run a six minute mile, you know, or anything, but you need to try. Mm. You need to try your best and, and that's the way you respect yourself. Competitiveness. Um, Do you guys think that it's harder today, more challenging for the students than you have than it was, say, when we were all where they are? I think categorically what's more difficult about high school, and I remember this from taking chemistry back a couple of centuries ago, 
if you take a chemistry textbook, let's say from 1970 or 1969 and compare it to a modern chemistry textbook, it's one-third the size. Hmm. So we were taught far less material yes. over a far longer period of time. Would, yeah, I would. If you look at a biology that. course, and we took biology back in the dark ages when dinosaurs roamed the earth, <laughs> uh, biology textbooks, there was a lot we didn't know back then. For example, in 1968, we didn't know how aspirin worked inside a person's body. Hmm. We really couldn't tell you if a person ate a piece of roast beef, biologically, what happened to the constituents of that. We were just fumbling around with DNA and RNA. Uh, they spent a lot of time on classification. Okay, look at this newt. Okay, it's it's got this Latin name, like that meant anything. Right. And so that's what we were taught. Uh, a modern biology textbook is dense with molecular biology. It's dense with very detailed explanations. AP biology, by the way, we think in an AP biology course, a student might learn as many as 100,000 words. Can you imagine doing that in nine months? Mm-hmm. So the level of the material, the complexity... If people say we've dumbed it down, and I said, pardon me, I've been to both parties, that's not true. No. It's, I, I, yeah. And you know I, what I'm talking I about. I would definitely agree with that. In the, in the elementary mm-hmm. curriculum, the same way, uh, the math textbooks, uh, were, were very basic. They, they used to be very focused on, on basic things, and now we're trying to teach you know, third graders, uh, algebraic concepts and, and things that we didn't used to teach until sixth grade and mm-hmm. stuff like that. I don't think that all of those changes are so good, you know, and everything. Um, but, uh, this is what we're having to deal with. And that's, uh, I would say that is the biggest difference. The, the amount of material that, that's a, that's a child is expected to, to uh master uh well they can't master all that they they, they simply can't you know does our technology today and yeah, I, mean, I think back when i was in high school yeah. and you know back then it was cobalt and fortran right i mean right. Yeah, 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 that was just no. coming out yeah. well how, how does that play in today with, with all this mass of new information that these kids have to assimilate is technology helping that hindering it or are we keeping up you're talking to a dinosaur. <laughs> I, I, Come on, Ron. I'm, and I'm really, and I'm, I'm proud of it. I, I, I shouldn't be. Uh, I think technique, you know, technology and technique, how you deliver it isn't as important as what you deliver. Yes. How you deliver it isn't as important as what you expect. I know teachers that do fabulous lessons using PowerPoints and using all the latest toys and gizmos. You don't have any use. I no, no, not at all. No. no, and 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 to be honest, I never did either. I I think Seriously. the most the most technology I ever did was use a document camera and maybe a uh, you know maybe turn on my computer and went to a website or something. Do you guys you know, have or kids or in the classroom who are texting and doing all this stuff? Uh, that was not, uh, that was not allowed in my class, I and, you and might there say was very much like there was definitely consequences <laughs> uh, if if that happened. Ron, you know? what do you do when you? Well, there, there's a way. There's a way to use. Kids have their iPhones and they can Google a word instantaneously. There are ways that, that That's you cheating. Yeah. I mean, is, well, I'm talking about well when you're writing and they're trying to come up with a word or I've given them vocabulary. You, I don't school. mind. It can be your friend or your enemy. It mm-hmm. depends on the situation. Well, you know, in in, in my in my class, uh, some of them would would uh, want to. Uh, there were certain 
areas in the math curriculum where I would allow them to go ahead and use a calculator mm-hmm. and all. And so, well, can use, can I use my, my, the one on my cell phone? Well, sure. Yeah, that's fine. That's no problem. Cause I didn't have enough for everybody anyway. Uh-huh. So, you know, right. shoot. Uh, that, that the was, schools that, don't that was supply okay. those anymore, do they? Uh, no. no. And, the, <laughs> and the ones we have are very uh, old. I'm not, I'm not anti-tech by, by no. any means. No. And I, I think it's. No, cause you, I know you do emails. Right. I do email. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's, yeah. I'm, uh, I can stu- do that. I know you do. I know you text. <laughs> right. Yeah. And I can text. I, yes, but I, we had a student. I can remember there was a student we had, and again, I have to respect confidentiality and I can't use names. I remember this young man we had who was a network wizard by the time he was 16. Mm. And by the time he graduated, somebody in Silicon Valley snapped him up. Uh, that's in the nineties. They were so desperate for talent. If you were a talented teenager, now it's, if you're a talented college graduate or college student, they'll grab you. So it's, it's, it's a, it's a tool. I don't think it's an end in itself. I meet people, for example. I know there's some people that want to do away with every book in the library and replace it with. Oh, yes. Yeah. You hear that. And or, that makes my yeah. blood run cold because yeah. there, there are, there are some, there's some uses to books, folks. And there's some things that are never going to, that they haven't essentially put everything on a hard drive yet. Now, if the day went all on a hard drive and then accessing and going through that. Uh, so there, I think there's some limits to it mm-hmm. and technology. Just as an end in itself strikes me as self-defeating, but it's useful. Yeah, yeah. Well, we want to get. Speaking of books, we want to get to some books because Lee has some books, and and Ron writes too. And we're going to talk about that right now. We want to uh, honor you guys with our song uh, this week. Uh, It's dedicated to all those who like uh, our special guys uh, have something to say, and that's the name of our song. Uh, the title of Matthew West's song, and it's here on Lighthouse Live, and we will be back right after this. Wake up, 7.32 a.m. Can't believe it's time to do it over again. Yesterday, it took all that you had, and you're wondering if you'll ever get it back. But the whole wide world is waiting for, waiting for you to step out that door. Come on, and let your life be heard today. You got something to say. Question here, would anybody miss you if you disappeared? Well, your life is the song that you sing, and the whole wide world is listening. Well, the answer to the question is, you were created, your life is a gift, and the lights are shining on you today, cause you got something to say. If you're living, if you're breathing, you got something to say.
Would anybody miss you if you disappeared? Well, your life is the song that you sing, and the whole wide world is listening. Something to say, that's Matthew West here on Lighthouse Live with Pastor Mike, Elaine, and Ron Vincent, and Lee Tidball. Writers, authors, uh, teachers, and uh, just all general good guys and great friends. And I'll tell you what, writers and creativity, as our uh, friend uh, uh, Mrs. Uh, Tharp would, would say, author, she says, creativity is a habit. Mm-hmm. Twyla Tharp mm-hmm. is her name, and she says that has to be cultivated and become a habit. Do you agree with that? Uh, certainly, if you want to be a writer, absolutely. What, yeah. What inspires you guys? I'd like both of you to to address that, if you would. Okay. Uh, you're reading a book, and you and you say, "Well, I would have told that story differently, or I would have told it better, or I would have done this, or I would have done that." And sooner or later, you either put your money where your mouth is, or you shut up. Mm-hmm. No, I, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, with myself. Um, I spent a lot of time uh, reading stories to my students. Um, I did quite a bit of research on this and found that uh, one of the best ways that students learn new words and 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 vocabulary and stuff is by being read to out loud. Mm-hmm. And so I would spend a lot of time each day uh, reading to my students, and I got to thinking, gee, I... Uh, I, I could think of a cool story like that, you know, or I, I'd love to tell a story something like that, you know, and, and, uh, that, that's how I began that. And of course the screenwriting, um, I go to a movie and I, it's like, like Ron says, well, I, I think I could have done a lot better job at that, you know, or I, I, I you know, I could have told the story a little bit better than that. And, and, uh, you know, but it, but, uh, well, Holly Weird, I mean, Holly, you got to write yes. the first time. <laughs> yes, yeah, you yeah. Guys, sure you guys actually get together and you have a club. Yeah, don't you? I mean, Ron, you guys do this weekly. You, you guys well, he'll read from, he'll read, yeah, he brings in screenplays and we've critiqued each other's work now for yes. 10 years. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. On a weekly basis, right. And we're, and we're kind, you know, the, the best criticism is from a friend who's saying, look, that's a car wreck. Yes. Uh, you know, writers who want to be told, gosh, that's wonderful, that's not helpful. Because otherwise you, you might be taking something that should not see the light of day and put your name on it and put it out there and be embarrassed. And your goal as a writer is to give people something worth reading. And a, and a critical friend is a really valuable asset. Yeah. So how many are in this group that meets with you guys? Oh, it's, that's just us two. Yeah, we've been part of, we, no, it's just us. Yeah, but we've also, Seriously, no, we've had other on. people, no, we've had other people. When we get, when we used to do pitch markets, we've connected with other friends. And so oh, we yeah. have probably 
How many? About a half dozen people. Well, that, yeah, the, yeah. That we can share writing with. We email, email, and stuff and, like that for uh, sure. We, yeah. I have a friend. Uh, we have a friend, and I shouldn't. I can't give the name of the work. She uh, was the ghostwriter on a script that was essentially a car wreck, and she resurrected it from the dead. And I don't know if she's going to get any credit, but she got a check, and it's going to be made. Really? And I can't. Hollywood. You said you, you said she was awesome. Yeah, and I re, I, re, I read, yeah. I read the car wreck and then I read her improvement and it was like taking someone that was three, four and making them six, eight. Mm-hmm. Uh, she yeah. showed that kind of talent. So we read each other's work and we have friends that you trust and so yeah. there's an informal network we've developed of Definitely. people that read each other's things. Yeah, there's, uh, there's a couple of networks, um, that I belong to, uh, also of mentors, you know, that, uh, that I've had and everything and, and there's certain number of those people that I bounce things off of, you know, and that kind of thing too. Yeah. So what do you do to pull this creativity out of the kids that you, uh, that you mentor? What, what, what do you do to get them enthused and, and to get them focused on maybe producing something? Well, as a math teacher, I teach KC algebra, which is a, a state mandated test they have to pass to get a high school diploma. Mm-hmm. And at the, at the curriculum is very established. And what I do is occasionally get them to play with mathematics. I had, uh, order of operations, which is a, how, how, in what order do you do certain mathematical operations? I challenge them to write a poem or a story or to draw, do some art on that. And they had an enormous amount of fun with that and they remembered it. And so you can't do that on everything because it takes time. The thing about creativity is you can't say, okay, for five minutes we're going to be creative and then stop it. Right, yeah, no, right. Yeah. You know, or I'd like you to write the first act of Hamlet and you've got a day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We, 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 in, in, uh, in my class, of course, I taught all the subjects. And so when it came to writing, it was always fun to, uh, you know, brainstorm about a topic and, and just brainstorm about different ideas and stuff that, uh, we could come up with and, and anything was just, okay, you know, and, and all like that. And, and then, uh, uh, a lot of times I would sit and actually take one of those and I would just write with them. And I, I, this is one of the times I actually use technology. I would have well, my computer hooked that. up to the, I know you, know, you, did for your books. Uh, you yes. know, hooked up to the, uh, to the, uh, media projector and I would sit and start writing, you know, and as I would do that, I would say now notice here, I did not start this by saying, um, you know, one day I went to the store and blah, 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 blah. You know, I, 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 you need to start out with something that really grabs the attention mm-hmm. of the reader. Otherwise they're going to get bored real quick. And mm-hmm. I have to read 30 of these and I'm the reader. So do something different, you know, when you start off and, and then, you know, we would talk about how to structure a story, you know, uh, you know, uh, introduce the characters and and uh you know puts a put some several different things leading up to a climax and then have a really nice little ending you know and and stuff to it and make sure that you don't bite off too much more than you can chew because we don't want you to put at the end uh and they all lived happily ever after the end you know and you definitely kind of involved your students in Winfork secrets um, and and we don't want to give all of this away you know uh yeah because- you know um Winfork was uh Winfork was the first book that I wrote right, and yeah. it was um very much uh inspired by uh by students in my classroom mm-hmm. and and everything uh it's uh 
you know, it really comes out of some of the hurts that uh, some of my students uh, had to deal with. And uh, one of those was um, just having really lousy lives at home mm. and, and things. And there was a time I was so frustrated. Um, you know, I, I would have some kids come in after school and just kind of go on about what was not going right at home, you know, and things. And I was struggling for a metaphor of, you know, uh, it, it was just so frustrating to me. And I thought, you know, cavemen could raise these people better than their, their own parents are. And that's where I, those people came. Uh, well, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that's, that's, that's where, and, and, and we came up with the idea of uh, a, of a group of, you know, cave uh, people. Yeah. And, and that's, that's where Winfork, uh, that's where Winfork mm. came from and, uh, a number of the stories and things in, within that. Princess so. Reborn. Uh, I was yes. intrigued by the comic books and, yeah, and yeah, the name, sure. the name is, uh, yeah, uh, uh, Princess Reborn's a story of a, uh, of a woman who, um, uh, used to found out, well, found out that her father was, uh, a king on another planet. And because of that, she had inherited a lot of not only his sort of superpowers and things, but also his enemies and, and, and all of that. And through her life, she, uh, you know, uh, used that for good and, also paid a, paid a very heavy price and so decided that she simply didn't want to be that person anymore and decided to be a normal everyday person and now she has a daughter who's 12 years old who is also starting to become super powered and she has no idea where it came from and, and she also has no idea about her mother's past and so uh they're trying to work that out, you know, and all of a sudden they discover that, uh, mom's old nemesis from the old days when, uh, the old superheroing days is back. And he's not only bent on, you know, taking over the world, but he knows where she lives, shall we say, and he's out for revenge. And so now she has to try and re refined who she was you know it's kind of like um you know you were a champion marathon runner and then you decided uh to stop running for 15 years and now all of a sudden you have to become a champion marathon runner over the weekend you know and uh and so this is where the reborn part comes you know yeah. and everything yeah. and uh she finds a way along with her daughter and other friends to overcome the bad guys and all like that and uh yeah that's so colorful and, and graphic and, and, uh, so I've got, uh, one and two and looking forward to, uh, chapter three. Yes. Uh, Lee, if someone's interested in your books, how might they obtain? Them? Uh, the best thing to do, uh, a couple of things. They, they could go to my own website, which is just my name, leetidball.com. Okay. And, uh, there's a page on there called buy Mr. T's books. The, 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 the website is called Mr. T's movie club. Right. And so they could just go to buy Mr. T's books and there's links there uh also they could um look up either the names of the books or my name on amazon or barnesandnoble.com let's give out the and, names of the books yeah uh, yeah yeah princess reborn uh or uh wind fork secrets that's wind fork you know not two two words just one wind fork secrets 
Um, and they could look those up on, uh, like I said, Barnes and Noble or, or, uh, Amazon.com. Um, the two, the two graphic novels are actually available, uh, in digital form as well. Awesome. Uh, they're, they could be downloaded onto a Kindle or a Nook or a iPad, you know, iPad, whatever like that. Um, unfortunately, Windfork is not available in that way yet. Um, I'm hoping, uh, sometime within the next year or so that that, that'll happen. And if you're fortunate enough, you can get your personally autographed copy Uh, like I did. Maybe you can catch Mr. Tidball at uh, a convention like he just attended. How was Las Vegas anyway? Uh, Las Vegas was wonderful. I had a great time there. Um, I spent some time, uh, teaching a workshop to, uh, other authors. This was a paying gig for you. uh, uh, That was a paying (laughs) gig and and it really was. I, I really appreciated that. It, it paid for a whole lot of my expenses there and, uh, yeah, I was, uh, teaching um, authors about the whole graphic novel process and I also got a chance to do kind of what like what Ron and I were talking about what we do mm-hmm. uh, they gave me some first pages or first you know acts or whatever of their novel or what a play I actually did a did a play also and uh, I would critique that and mm-hmm. tell them what I thought worked with it and what uh, could probably, you know, what might need to be changed or what might help, you know, or whatever. And, um, and then I went to two different schools, um, Hello McMillan School in Las Vegas and also Treme School in Las Vegas. These are two elementary schools. I had a great time there in, uh, McMillan School. I sat and I believe, uh, did like three different, um, uh, sort of mini assemblies in the library and I got to sit there in a rocking chair and talk to, you know, about two or three classes of students at a time and just had a great time with them talking to them about what it's like to be an author and write a book and, and about my stories and, um, uh, showed them, it was a lot of fun because I showed them some of my very earliest writing from back when I was like in the sixth and seventh grade and things like that. And, and, you know, as students were kind of surprised, it's like, wow, you mean, you mean you were an author back then? And I says, yes, and you are too when you write something. God you know, bless and, you guys for encouraging like yeah, and motivating absolutely. these young people. And, yes. and then at Trim School, uh, I was much more of a very large assembly type thing and, uh, we, Threw around some, some little Nerf balls and things to practice, <laughs> you know, and frisbees to kind of practice, you know, a certain skill. And the whole idea was that if you choose to read as opposed to choose to planning yourself in front of a television mm. or, a, or a video uh, screen or something, you can, uh, you can learn many more words per, you, you'll expose yourself to many more words per year. And the higher number of words you expose your yourself to each year uh the higher your vocabulary will be and all like that did you did you realize that if, if you just read 20 minutes a day mm-hmm. you'll expose yourself to over a million words uh every year you know that, that that's quite that that's quite powerful you know and everything and and if you read like a, an hour a day, you expose yourself to over four four million words, wow. you know, per uh, per year. And this is uh, this is a very powerful thing. It's it's one of the best ways for students to learn 
the language and 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 uh, and become more successful students, you I, know, and everything. I know Ron introduced C.S. Lewis to the folks in Rome. Ron, you want to tell that story? <laughs> I'm sorry. Well, you, I'm sorry, you caught me uh, wool gathering here for a moment. Uh, you, you were you had introduced C.S. Lewis to Rome when you went there. Oh, that when I was yes. in Rome back yes. in 1978, studying mm-hmm. at the Vatican. Uh, I was in an Anglican church, and I, r- I ran into a retired Carabinieri officer who wanted to learn American-style English. Uh, yeah, I know. Because he, he was teaching, in his retirement, he was teaching English to Italians. And they couldn't wait to hear the English accent. You're right. They, yeah, they, well, American-style English. They were used to BBC, because the Italians at that time, the people were paying for tutors, wanted an American accent, not an English accent. And you'd get mostly an English accent from the Italians who spoke English fairly well. And so Mauro, his name was Mauro. I became close friends with his family. And I was reading, you know, I read everything C.S. Lewis wrote and had studied C.S. Lewis in college. And he saw me with a copy of C.S. Lewis. And so I began, what, what happened is, so he could practice English after I left, I would read C.S. Lewis on tape and send him tapes. Uh, so I did Mere Christianity, I think, and The Problem of Pain and Miracles. Which violated probably the crap out of the copyright. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, but I wasn't charging him for it, okay? So if you, so I, so, and he didn't exactly sell it on street corners. But he, he became a C.S. Lewis fan through me. <laughs> you guys have done incredible things in terms of motivating and encouraging our youth. And, you know, as, as Christians and brothers and sisters in the body of Christ, we may, Agree, we agree on the foundational, you know, the Lord and Savior, our Jesus Christ. And we may split hairs on other things, but, you know, the youth, they are the key to our future. Yes. And in encouraging, uh, our young people to do what you do. And, 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 you know, all people, because I know you guys work with older people too. And we were talking earlier about older people who can't read. And, and who maybe who have not been encouraged to lead, do what you yes, do, and Ron, sure. to do what you do. And in the few minutes that we, we have left here, we, time is going by quickly. How would you encourage those to sit, who are sitting back and saying, you know, maybe I don't have the skill sets that you gentlemen have, and I haven't had the college degrees that, you know, Ron lines his walls with. Well, <laughs> you know, I, I, I'm, you know, there, there are people, there are adults and, and there are, you know, students who are in high school or college age or whatever that, that really struggle with reading, you know, and, and that kind of thing, but they can still, they can still read something. And I, and I would just uh, challenge that person to take some initiative. And, and it's not like you have to grab, you know, a 700 page tome of Harry Potter, you know, and all like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I had an interesting example of this. Um, I would survey my students uh, at the beginning of the year. Uh, and, you know, so many of them would say uh, there were, there was a question that said, uh, and what, what books are you like, um, uh, afraid of or are hard for you to read? And they would say big, thick books like Harry Potter. Uh, you know, and, and so I got a group of these kids together and I said, we're going to read a big, thick book 
like Harry Potter. We're going to read Harry Potter together, okay? And we're just going to spend a little time each day. And so we spent about 15 minutes each day. And, uh, you know, those kids looked forward to that more than just about anything during the day. In fact, one of them who kind of, you know, cause I, I do like the voices. I, I, I done some acting, you know, and stuff like that. And, and she picked up on that. And so I would let some of them read aloud. And so. She'd start talking in a little English accent, you know, and all like that. And, and, uh, you know, so the kids got to where they like to listen to her read, you know, and everything too. And she never would have done anything like that. I mean, she was very, uh, terrified, you know, of reading before. And, and so I would just say, give it a shot and don't think you have to, yeah, you know, well, you know, by the end, by Christmas, we'd basically finished it, you know, and stuff. And, and, and and it's like now you've read a big thick book like Harry Potter and you know so that was one thing for me anyway How about Ron, let's uh, let's uh, ask very quickly we got about 2 minutes left we talked about family about parents what can parents do to oh, help you it, accomplish well yeah uh, the parents are my best allies mm-hmm. i love i love talking to parents they're it's their kid and you know 99.9% of parents or at least 99% do care. And the other 1%, we all understand what that situation is. Uh, knowing what's going on with your kid, uh, keeping, setting a model of reading. I think if a family, if a book, if a, if a home has books in it, that make, and the kid, and they see you reading, yes, they're going to read. So and if you can't read, and there, and there are parents who can't, Lord bless them, then find something you like and work, find something that you would like to read and start. Uh, if you can afford an audio book and the hard copy, I mean, there, there are inexpensive books in lots of places anymore that you can find for next to nothing that the people will virtually give to you. Uh, the, the one of the, one of the wonders of this depression we're in, and it's not a recession, is that things are really cheap and you can find things that are incredible yes. bargains. Mm-hmm. And so setting an example yourself and encouraging your kid and Absolutely. always hoping them believe, hoping the best and expecting the best and encourage them. Absolutely. Yeah. Very good. Well, Lee Tidball and Ron Vincent, we just thank you both for sharing uh, all of your experiences. And Lee, we wish you very well on your books. And Thanks very much. To chapter I appreciate three that. coming up, and yes. we want to thank Sunny Pond for joining us in the studio tonight. Sunny, we look forward to hearing uh, all of your experiences and. Uh, everything you have coming up as well. And dear listeners, wherever you happen to be listening, we really appreciate you joining us for Lighthouse Life, wherever you are. And we look forward to you joining us again next week. God bless you. Good night.